You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Oh, yeah. What up, everybody? Welcome to The Day with Trey. I am your host, Trey Holiday. I want to welcome you to a fantastic Friday. It's feeling good. The energy in here is right. Um, I'm loving the little peaks of sunshine out there. We saw some yesterday, seeing a little bit more today. Feeling great up in here in the Black Media Matters studios. Um, I'm excited as well because we got Sade's... Smith in the building. That's right. The genius that is Sade Smith is here to give us some basics on the Michael Rowland case, but also keep us engaged on what's going on down there at the King County Jail. Unfortunately, it looks like some of the issues that we have kind of touched on over the time here at Converge are still persisting. So I'm glad Sade is in the building to give us all of those details. But of course, it's the top of the show, y'all. So it's a great time to tag and share the stream. That's right. Go ahead. Tag and share the stream with folks who feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on The Day with Trey. If you can't watch us, you can always listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network and The Day with Trey. Y'all will find me on Google, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever it is, you name it. Find us uh, by searching for us on your favorite platform. I want to thank y'all uh, for rocking with me this week and rocking with me through the weeks beforehand. Uh, also for tagging and sharing the stream and sharing the podcast. We appreciate that authentic growth here at The Day with Trey. Thank y'all so much. Well, Y'all know all week we've been providing segments of how Converge Media has been on the ground and out in the community, shining a light on amazing businesses and amazing opportunities that we can all, you know, participate in. So I'm excited to share this one with y'all on this fantastic Friday. Check out the work of Creamy Cone. Hi, I'm Ashanti Mayfield. Welcome to Creamy Cone Cafe. We're here in the Rainier Beach area. We got 12 rotating flavors of premium ice cream that's all here from the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, we also have waffle cones that we make fresh daily. We have cookie, ice cream sandwiches. We also have a full espresso menu. We make milkshakes and affogados. Affogados are too many scoops of ice cream of your choice. And then we do a double shot of espresso poured on top of that. For people who might be vegan or have dietary restrictions, we always try to make sure we keep at least two to three um, non-dairy vegan options in rotation. You know, this um, area, it kind of needed something that was new and like family friendly. So I was already in this space um, a year prior to opening the ice cream shop. I had got this space um, with intentions to just work with my clients. I'm also a licensed cosmetologist. I specialize in hair extensions. And so um, I had clients that I was working with here. And then I was also going to sublease some of the spaces out to other beauty professionals. And then my mom was going to have her consignment boutique in here as well. So um, when the pandemic hit, I kind of started thinking like what other things would be good for this area. And I felt like we needed kind of more food restaurant 
places where you could just go and get something good. We're all about just affirmations, just positivity, uh, you know, teaching kindness, preaching kindness, making people feel appreciated and like they matter is important to us. Um, we're really big on customer service here. I've worked a lot of jobs, too many to where I'm kind of embarrassed at how many jobs I've had. But um, customer service is always something that I've been super big on. If, if the customer walks in, they need to feel appreciated and welcome first thing. I was born and raised out here, but later years I went out south, but it drew me back out this way because I do feel like it's really diverse and um, there's a lot of culture and black history here in Seattle as well. So we got a nice community center. Um, like I said, it's, it's got rich culture and history here. We definitely felt like we made a good move and I'm glad we went through with it. Wow, amazing and inspiring indeed. Shout out to Creamy Cone Cafe for filling a void out there in the South Seattle area. I'm honestly thinking I'm coming there right after the show today. Uh, you know, uh, for me, I, I love a place that is going to cater to some vegan options. So thank you for having those on the menu. Um, but shout out to the Converge team for being so intentional and in bringing these opportunities and shops and businesses to light. It's always great to know that we have so many amazing things going on in our city and beyond. And it's inspiring y'all to see everybody find their niche. You know, we understand COVID was such a huge uh, thing for us all. It was a diversion. We had to pivot. We needed to shift our priorities. We needed to do a lot of things to adjust. And I love seeing that so many businesses really took flight because they were like, now is the time for me to actualize these ideas. Now is the time for me to hone in on my craft. Uh, so so shout out to Creamy Cone Cafe for being one of those uh, inspiring businesses in our area where now I get to patron and come and check out some vegan ice cream options. I'm excited. Well, after this short break, I'm also excited because Shaw Day Smith is in the building. And for those of you who may not know, I promise you, she brings the heat. We're going to be learning all about the Michael Rowland case. And honestly, there, the things that are going on in the King County Jail. Y'all, we need to stay engaged and informed. Stay tuned right after this short break. You're watching The Day with Trey. What's up, everybody? Trey Holiday here, and I'm so excited that Converge Media is doing a Black History Month takeover at the iconic Sankofa Theater. That's right. We're going to be looking back to look forward in this amazing space as we curate our own segments of Black History with our friends there at Sankofa Theater. Shout out to our partners, Friends of Waterfront Seattle, the Elite Collective, and the Vita Agency for joining us on this amazing journey. Of course, the whole Converge family is going to be in the building February 20th through the 24th. Y'all do not want to miss these segments. Join us and can't wait to see you there. This winter, Seattle Opera presents the world premiere of A Thousand Splendid Sons. Based on the best-selling novel by Khaled Hosseini, this new opera tells the breathtaking story of two Afghan women brought together under the brutal Taliban rule. There has never been a more important time for this story to be on stage. Make this world premiere part of your plans today. Don't miss A Thousand Splendid Sons, February 25th through March 11th at McCall Hall. Details at seattleopera.org. What up, y'all? T-Dub here, as always, bringing you the news and art planning and opportunities. This year's Poor Culture Project grants are live now, and here's what you need to know to apply. 
Sport Culture Project grants fund cultural activities and projects throughout King County. If you are an individual or group with arts, heritage, or preservation at its core, then this funding is for you. And if you're new to the grant application process, Sport Culture hosts virtual workshops and has a team of grant managers ready to assist you in the process. The deadline to apply is March 23rd. Head over to fourculture.org for more. Welcome back, everybody, to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. Joining me right now is Miss Sade Smith. What's up, Sade? How are you? Hi, Trey. How are you? Thanks for having me. It, yeah, it's been too long, and every time that you come on, you're informing me. So I know you're here to inform us all. Tell us some of these basics about the Michael Rowland case. Yeah. So um, in April of 2022, King County released or had a press release indicating that they found a 63-year-old man unresponsive in his cell minutes after being booked. It wasn't until December of 2022, after some intense investigative reporting by Sidney Brownstone, uh, that it was uncovered what really happened. So Mr. Rowland was an unhoused community member. He was downtown. He'd gone into a hotel and he'd been demanding food. It was clear he was in a mental health crisis. Instead of giving him care and the resources that he need, SPD responded and they held him down the position, the same position that George Floyd was killed in. They had a knee on him. And then instead, again, instead of giving him the resources he needed or taking to a mental health facility or giving him treatment, he was taken to the King County Jail and King County Jail Guards did the exact same thing. Minutes later, he was found dead. Wow. Yeah, this right here is, uh, you know, it is it's unfortunate, Sade, that we just keep seeing the persistence of mm-hmm. these kinds of tactics ending in death. Yeah. Ultimately, that's the coldest part about all of this is that we keep on experiencing it. And even when you have officers going to jail, going to prison for murder, essentially, you still see that there's officers who are utilizing these same tactics that lead in death. What happened once it was uncovered that that was really what happened to Michael Rowland? Well, you know, it hit the media and we do want to talk about how King County jails hit the media nationally as well uh, for a number of different reasons. And we'll get to that, too. But, um, you know, I know that the family has obtained representation. I know that there are actions being taken in the community as well. Yeah. You know, as we get informed, we want to do something, say something, adjust ourselves, you know, be a part of the larger discourse around this. I think anytime we see these kinds of injustices, there are many people who are willing to step up to the plate. And I appreciate that you're bringing this to light for the audience here so that we can really be engaged and informed now about what's going on. But, you know, you're saying there's also these things that are constantly persisting in the King County Jail. Tell Mm -hmm. us more about that. Yeah. So, You know, if we talk about a national discussion, King County Jail suicide rate is eight times that of the national average, which is just there's you know, there are no words for that. Um, The harm that's being done in the King County Jail in the six month period between November 2021 and May 2022, there are 500 incidents of use of force, assault um, and critical incidents in the King County Jails. And so our community members, when they're being arrested and we have to acknowledge who's mostly being arrested, right? It's mostly black and brown people, indigenous people and people are impoverished are being taken to the jails. They're being abused while they're in the jails too. And for the simple fact that they can't afford bail because the system has determined that if you're rich enough, you can get out of jail, but if you're not, you have to stay and you're subjected and your life is put at risk. So Mr. Roland in his situation, there was no report that he put anybody in danger, right? He needed food. He needed assistance. And instead of giving him the care, he was literally killed. And I'll say that with no hesitation, but for the actions of SPD, but for the actions of King County Jail Guards, he would still be alive. Uh, 
Sade. I mean, this is one of those things where I think a lot of people hear these kinds of things and they go, my goodness, what can be done to disrupt this? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's I'm so glad to hear that the Roland family has is seeking counsel, that they are moving something forward in regard to this this case and their family member who now is gone. Mm -hmm. But I I think about the the future Michael Rollins. Right. I think about the, the idea of, you know, black men oftentimes being the ones you said it, indigenous men, Hispanic men, like we see it over and over again, really hitting uh, particular particular ethnic groups in large numbers. And yeah, we also understand too that there's a disparity in terms of who finds themselves there. Mm -hmm. You just said it in terms of those who are impoverished, those who don't have the money to just make bail, they have to stay there. Um, I know that there were some things that we're working on that were a, a while back now, it seems like, after George Floyd, where it was like, well, what can we do to mitigate all of that so that even if you can't afford bail, there's other things that you can do so that you don't have to stay there. But it just hasn't hit the airwaves yet. It just hasn't hit. Well, in 2020, it's interesting at the State of the County speech, uh, Dal Constantine acknowledged, and it was reported all over the news that, you know, it's time to shut down the King County Jail because of all of the issues. Um, and not just because the facility is old, but because of the harm that's being done in the facility. Any type of jail you get, it doesn't matter how new the building is. It doesn't matter how many cameras you have. Just like with policing, right? We got body-worn video. People are still dying in mass. And so we need to start talking about um, results. We can't do empty reforms, right? We have to start talking about changes that are actually going to be people-centered and shutting down the jail is where we need to go. Yeah. You know, then then folks that are for police or or that think, you know, hey, we still need these spaces. You know, how do we get them to understand that the harm that's being caused actually is not, you know, like it's it's too insurmountable at this point. Right. I mean, you're talking about eight times the national average. That is alarming. And everybody that is within King County should care about this. It doesn't matter if they have family members who are affected by this. Everybody should care because that's something that is causing uh, a, a real stain on the King County name. And, you know, we are the only Martin Luther King Jr. County in the <laughs> right. nation. Right. We got to try to be setting a different standard. Uh, you know, how do we hold Dal Constantine, you know, accountable to yeah. the things that he said back then? I mean, what are some of the things that you foresee people can do now? Because, I mean, it sounds like these issues are persistent. Yeah. So as far as what people can do now, you know, keep pressure on electeds, right? Uh, Inform your community members, inform your family members, those dinner time, you know, talks and at tables, they can really be helpful. But again, put pressure on your electeds. He literally made a public statement saying the King County Jail should be shut down. If he'd follow through with that, Mr. Rowland would still be alive. And we should talk about, you know, when people talk about, you know, needing public safety. And that's usually what people refer to when they're saying we need police. It's like police and public safety are two different things. If you look around the world, right, we are doing what no other nation on the planet has ever done and will ever do. We have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison and jail population. We invest in caging people when other nations invest in resources and housing and they have less crime and less harm done to people. They have better education systems. And so if we really want to keep people safe and we want to keep each other safe, we have to fund and resource them. That's really just what it is. So, you know, when we talk about a housing first model, when you get people off the streets, when you get them the care that they need, when you invest in them, the King County Jail, the county spends, you know, $200 a day per person. That's $73,000 a year. You would never see people again if you invested that type of money in them, right? Students in Washington State, it's $11,000 a year per student. 
$73,000 a year to be caged in the King County Jail. It makes no sense. And so what are our priorities? We want to invest in our people and our community and safety and a future that we can all be a part of, or do we want to keep doing the same thing that we've been trying to reform for a hundred years that keeps killing us? Yeah, this is exactly why I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, understand it in terms of um, step by step, mm -hmm. right? So, okay, maybe it starts with reforms, but when we think about like really ridding ourselves of a system that has not really benefited us, I mean, we do have to understand that there may be some, you know, okay, somebody murdered someone, you know, in this heinous way, serial killers or rapists or, you know, there's that go to the extreme, mm -hmm. right, when they're thinking about it. But really, statistics show is just what you said. There's a lot of folks that are in these uh, jails, in, in particular King County Jail, that are really, they're unhoused. They're there for other reasons. Mm -hmm. Not saying that, they, that there's not people there who commit crimes, but also the idea and notion that just because you are seeking resources as Michael Rowland was, that can land you in a jail cell. Yeah. I think people need to be more understanding of that fact, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that doesn't hit a lot of people until it's immediate for them, right? Yeah. Until it's directly in their purview. They're either the ones that are experiencing it or they are their family member or someone experiences it. It has to hit home oftentimes yeah. for people to start caring. And that for me is a big issue. Now, uh, I was shocked. I mean, I just saw this uh, TikTok release of, you know, a, a brother, you know, he had a cell phone in his hand. You know, the police are there and they're like, you know, on him and they're yelling at him and the lights are glaring on him. And his brother is like, hey, he's got a phone. And then all of the white neighbors start coming out. They're yeah. like, whoa, what are you doing? He has a phone. And they pan out and lo and behold, it was Seattle police. And I went, wow, like somebody sent this to me that's outside of Seattle. And I just thought, my goodness, you know, here we are again. There's so many different examples of how we do it wrong. And it wasn't until the white neighbor came up to the he said, do you want me to walk with you? Yeah. And he said, yes, please, because. They had their guns drawn on him. He thought he was about to get murdered yeah. right there for having his cell phone in his hand. Yeah. And it took the neighbors to stand in unity with him for the Seattle police to take, put their guns down, get back in their cars and drive off. They didn't even get take him. He wasn't, you know, going to jail. What's up with this? Like th this is a perpetual culture that I think when we see it over and over again, Sade, it brings it to light. It really does. And so, What's interesting about policing is uh, one of the first national conversations about it was the Wickersham Commission in like the 19, 1929, 1930s, early. Um, and it was a national conversation, people saying, hey, our police on a national level are problematic. They're abusing people. They're um, planting you know, evidence on people. They're harming people. They're threatening people. They're harassing people. So this is not new, right? It's 2023 and we're still having the same conversations we're having you know, a century ago. And that should tell you that there's no iteration of policing that is going to be safe for people. And I really like that example that you gave because at the end of the day, it was community members who kept community members safe. And that's really what it has to be. We have to invest in strengthening our communities and resources and developing those relationships. But what we're doing is we're outsourcing our protection to people who don't care about us, right? I mean, most of SPD, they don't even live in Seattle. They're from the suburbs, right? And so this is public funds paying their $150,000 a year average salaries. And that public money is going out of the county into the suburbs. It's going to different cities. Then so you're not even getting a return on your investment. And so, you know, when our communities are being gentrified into extinction, when our schools are not getting funded the way that we want, like when, when is enough enough? And the fact that, you know, Michael Rowland's case happened, the Tyree Nichols case happened, right? 
right? And we're just talking about nationally, even after the largest uprising in human history with the George Floyd protest in 2020, we're still seeing the same thing. After, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, national reforms, people are, you know, how many laws were instated and still, we still keep getting killed. That should tell you that we have to do something different. And I know, you know, I try to respect people's position because it's scary. It's like, well, if the cops aren't there, what's going to happen? Well, cops only, you know, they only solve 2% of violent crime. 2%. So they're not doing what we think that they're doing. They're not giving, you know, they're not doing what we give them credit for. And at the end of the day, like we will keep each other a lot safer than police ever will. And we should, you know, develop those conversations and become more and more comfortable with that. Yeah. Every time I speak to you, I'm just so uh, engaged. I'm so educated uh, by the statistics that you share. Yeah. 2%. 2%. They solve 2% of violent crime. 2%. Uh, that's alarming, Sade. I want to talk about the numbers too, Trey, about how Please, much money. How give much give money. us more. Give us more statistics. <laughs> so we got uh, the time. Yeah. Okay. King County Council's budget for the jails uh, is $498 million for the next two years. $498 million. Uh, Seattle City Council's budget invests over $20 million yearly into the jail. So that's $40 million over two years. King County Courts is $274 million over two years. King County Prosecuting Attorneys is $207 million. Um, public Defense is $169 million. We have the sheriff's office, which is 481 million. We have SPD, which is 760 million. We have uh, Seattle City Attorney's Office, 80 million. Municipal courts, 83 million. So you know that's over a billion dollars. That's well over a billion dollars, actually. And so we're really like, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, imagine a billion dollars in the communities. Imagine what Seattle would be like. We need, you know, we need public transportation. We need health care. We need resources. We need housing. Right. There's a huge bill that's coming up or initiative that's on the um, ballot coming up for uh, Seattle housing and social housing. And we need to talk about that. We could do those things, but we keep burning money on policing when they're not even meeting the standards that they should. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, like the hairs on my arm are standing up because, you know, I think we we um, again, we move off of generalistics. Yeah. Right. So generally speaking, mm -hmm. police are there to pr protect and serve. Uh, a lot of folks go, well, like you said, oh, my gosh, what would we do without the police? Mm -hmm. People need to be educated on these numbers and really educated on the fact that, you know, when we talked uh, so at such length and, you know, people sharing and pouring their heart out after George Floyd, that George Floyd was an example. Yeah. But he wasn't the only one. There are so many different uh, families who have been affected by the 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 brutal uh, violence that has come from police departments across the nation. And you are right. Yeah. Globally speaking, we are doing something that no other nation is doing. We are doing something in terms of that level of investment in our police force, the investment in our jails, the ideas that our jails have been privatized. So now there's people that have a stock style stake mm -hmm. in the success of our jails, which means they have to house X amount of, of convicted people, X amount of, of folks that are accused of crime. They have to actually do that. It's become a business mm -hmm. in a way that moves far away from the protect and serve model. And for so many folks, we now understand the origination of policing 
was through the slave trade, mm -hmm. right? It was capturing those slaves that were just looking to free themselves, mm -hmm. right? Looking to get out of those shackles that they knew it just wasn't right for them, never felt comfortable for them. And yet that's where our police force like stems from. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, these numbers are just staggering, Shade. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're someone who lives in this all the time. What are some of the things that you do to like keep yourself afloat? Because it's kind of, it's a lot to take on. You know, um, you know, my clients suffer through this, right? And so sitting across the glass from them or sitting across the table from them and talking to them about what they're experiencing in the jail has really been eye-opening just in the constant trauma, right? I mean, there was a point in 2020 where the jail didn't have clean water. And so people had to, you know, use bottled water. And it's like, how are you going to wash yourself with bottled water, right? There's, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. It's not just the harm that's going on. It's, you know, they were freezing cold. It's freezing in the jail. It's filthy. Um, and What's interesting, you mentioned the privatization of jails. The situation happens in public jails too, right? In public prisons too. In public prisons, they literally enslave people, pay them pennies on the dollar, and they create all types of goods that we consume every day in the public. And so, and they get it at, you know, nickels on the dollar, right? Pennies on the dollar. And that's exactly what slavery was, right? Taking, it's stealing your labor. And so that's what jails operate and prisons operate as. I mean, in the King County Jail, the trustees, they run the kitchen, they distribute goods. They do a lot of the labor inside of the jail and they're not, they're getting paid a dollar, maybe a day, you know? And so we're talking about extreme depravity that's happening and it's just right up the hill. And so, you know, slavery in the 13th Amendment, there's exception, except when you're a charged with a crime. And we're seeing that every day. And so this stuff isn't over. It's just a continuation. It just changes shape. But I do want to talk a little bit about um, the disparities. I mean, in 2021, King County, they did an audit of the King County jails. The county was like, hey, let's look into this. They found that black people served 40 percent longer uh, terms in the King County jail than other people did. 20, or white people served 25 percent less time in the jail. Black people had worse disparities as far as discipline, got infracted more, had higher security housing. All of the things that we think we're like, man, this doesn't feel right. That's exactly what's happening. And the county literally posted this on their website. That's where I got the information. And so we talk about what our electeds know. You know, it's I, I feel bad telling people like, you know, put pressure on your life. They know all this information already. They just don't act and they need to be held accountable. Mr. Roland should not be dead. You know, his blood is on people's hands. His life is on people's hands. And those politicians need to be held accountable are just they have a duty to the community, especially when they're wielding public funds. Right. And they just don't do what they're supposed to do. And then every time somebody dies, they, you know, I don't know within the national level, you know, taking an ear or whatever, but they're, it's just all performative. And it's like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to take this. We're not going to accept our community members being killed when they need help. So. Oh, Sade, always uh, so informative. I mean, we got to, uh, uh, I want to make sure you get everything. And is there anything else yes. that, yeah, please, please <laughs> so, take it away. 50% um, of the youth that are locked up in King County are black youth you know, our young people and like what we're six, maybe 7% of the county. And I think that's in Seattle city. I think the county is even less. And so we're not just seeing this on the adult level. We're talking about our babies. Right. And so that's what the King County jail system perpetuates. Um, I do want to talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, Bruce Harrell's actions as mayor. Um, there's been a lot of focus 
on the sweeps, right? There've been a lot of sweeps happening. And there was a lot of pressure from community when Jenny Durkin was in office about the sweeps, but Bruce Harrell got in office and there's there's still a lot of people organizing around it. And again, I wanna talk about how the King County Jail organizing, we're doing a shutdown of the King County Jail campaign, um, but this is organizing that's been continuous for decades by black and brown people, especially, specifically the black community, right? And so this is not a new movement, uh, but people keep beating their fists against uh, you know the powers that be. But Bruce Harrell sitting there and investing all this money and sweeping where homeless community members paying again, SPD offers $150,000 a year to do it. Well, how about it? You just give some of that money to people so they can be housed. You won't have these problems. And we have seen gentrification happen in the housing prices. I mean, this, what Seattle housing is, it's ridiculous on a, even on a national level, right? It's one of the most expensive cities in the country and our city is changing and the city of that people grew up with, they can't even live here anymore. And then, so it's crazy to have unhoused people swept out and literally displaced and all for the comfort of rich people. And that's what policing has always been. We talked about with the slave trade, right? Slave catchers, like what were they doing? They were protecting the property interests of white wealthy people. And so when we talk about Mr. Roland, he goes in to a hotel downtown to get some food. SPD comes to drag him away, protecting the property interests of wealthy white people, right? So we have this continuation of a theme that when we are inconvenient or when we are not in service of white power, then we get taken to the jails, then we get displaced and then we get harmed. And so I just wanna point out that how problematic that is and what, you know, this is not something different than before 1865, right? We're dealing with this, it, it looks different, but it is the same death machine. And that's what prisons are. You know, there's over two, what, 2.5 million people in prisons and jail in this country. It's obscene. Sade, Sade, <laughs> I appreciate you for bringing us the numbers and the statistics. And, you know, I, uh, I agree 100% that we just, we need to be educated. And, you know, this is why we, we, we talk about these movements, we can never really take our foot off the gas until yeah. we see some change that is uh, felt by families of the global majority in general. Like until those material conditions are elevated and until people actually are feeling that they belong here, we're going to continue to see these issues persist. I thank you for being on the front yeah. lines as you always are. Of course, you have your law firm. You know, for those <laughs> who may not know, Sade is on it. Uh, please make sure that if folks are really looking to connect with you or looking yeah. to maybe connect with the movements you were mentioning, look right there and let them know how they do that. Yeah. So um, my website is thesmithlaw.com. Pretty simple. Thesmithlaw.com. You can reach out there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sade. Always. It's been such a pleasure to be with you today. You. Oh, my gosh. Talk about being informed, y'all. I mean, Sha I told y'all Sade was going to bring the fire. You know what? That's what it is. I'm going to rename this Fire Friday after Sade just dropped those bombs on us. I get to wrap up Fire Friday right after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching The David Trey. Welcome back, everybody, to the David Trey. I am so elated that Sade Smith was able to take some time out of her busy schedule to educate us all on some of those staggering statistics around King County Jail. I mean, come on. Uh, deaths happening there at eight times the national average. You know, uh, cops only solving 2% of violent crime. I mean, there's just so many statistics that are now in my head. Of course, I'm always inspired by the work that Sade is doing by putting herself out there as an attorney to really be here for the people and also, you know, spending time to gather that those statistics and that data to share it with all of us and make sure that we're informed and engaged on what's going on in the jail system, y'all. You know, I want y'all to be inspired, of course. I was like listening to her and all I could think about was, you know, what can we do now to really change these things? I think we're in a moment of time 
time. There's a really particular zeitgeist we're in right now where we can really start to push things forward to change these statistics so that they do not continue to persist. And so I'm so grateful that she was able to come here today and give us that information and inspire me. Of course, I want y'all to be inspired. You know, maybe there are ways that you can educate yourself more. Maybe there are movements that you can join because you too do not want to see these kind of staggering statistics persist. Um, we want to change the narrative. We want to change the way that we do things. And maybe Washington State has to be the one to lead. Maybe King County has to be the one to lead. Maybe, you know, your county, your city, uh, you can affect some change there. So just be inspired, y'all, to see yourself as a part of the solution. Whatever that means for you, I know we'll be all the better for it. So grateful for this amazing week with all of y'all. And for me, until Monday at 11 a.m., y'all. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.